Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Emmy. How you doing? I cannot complain. I know. We are in both in really good moods, I feel. I love when that happens. It's not rare. Like I think we're usually in very good moods, but today I feel especially in a good mood. I know. Me too. Um, We have good topics today, a bunch of things to talk about. And I also wanted to tell you guys, at the end of this episode, we are going to insert in our interview with Jen Atkin, which I can't even like... I'm going to have just a little bit of a fangirl moment, to be honest, because it was one of those where I was genuinely so honored that she wanted to come on the show. Like I, you know, every so often we have someone where it's just like, we have been following your career and your trajectory so closely. So then to have this conversation and to have her on for me was so exciting. Yeah, it was, it was definitely special. Yeah. I mean, we spoke to her about this, about the idea of like, you know, back in the day, glam squads, quote, weren't as publicized. People wanted to be a lot more behind the scenes. They wanted to show up and look as if they did without any, you know, people thinking anything happened. Of course you knew, but it was unspoken. And so there's been a transition. We spoke to her about that. Of course, we spoke about her book, Blowing My Way to the Top. She came on to promote that. So we spoke about that and just a bunch of other things. Um, she's She was just very great. And, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. And I want to make an announcement before we start, which we just decided literally one minute ago, but I just think it's the move. So as you guys know, normally we do the Kardashian bonus show on Wednesdays and the Bravo episode with Isabel and I on Fridays, but the Potomac reunion on Sunday night and also the Southern Charm, Kristen Cavallari stuff that happened yesterday, we're thinking of for this week switching the schedule. So we're going to do the Bravo episode on Wednesday and Kardashians on Friday. I know we're missing then the Thursday night Southern Charm discussion, but it just feels like a worth it trade-off because that Potomac reunion was the craziest thing I've ever witnessed. And this Kristen Cavallari live stream, like we just feel like we have to do that. So I think that's our plan. It may change, but I'm pretty sure it won't. 
I know it's a foreign language for, for me, but it definitely feels necessary. I don't know how I can explain to you how necessary it feels, but I get it. If you trust me, if you saw that Potomac reunion, you would have lost your mind. I know I would have. <laughs> Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say is that not this week, but starting next Monday, we actually have off for two weeks. Um, so Julie and I will be off for those two weeks. I think it's the first time we've taken a break this entire year, I think. Um, <laughs> but Isabel and I are going to be back both weeks for Bravo just because we felt like we kind of just started the Bravo podcast and <laughs> we already we already told the company like this, this break was decided months ago. And then last week we emailed them and we're like, so sorry about this, but we actually cannot miss two episodes of Bravo because we're in the middle of the Potomac reunion. So don't worry, Isabel and I will be back for that. But Julie and I um, are taking a two week break, which I have to be honest, I really will miss it. Like I genuinely enjoy these times, but I think we need it. Like I, I, I'm feeling like I, I need that reset a little bit. I so agree, but I was just thinking in my head that because we're doing this, there's absolutely no way that something crazy doesn't happen where we have to record an emergency episode. But Isabel and I will be there. So don't worry, any Bravo fans. Yeah. Okay. Um, as you guys know, every week we're highlighting a Black-owned business. And this week it's I Am Crowned. It's spelled K-R-W-N-D, but it's pronounced crowned. So it's a jewelry and virtual design studio that specializes in custom jewelry. So they have a lot of really cool things. It used to be called Crown Jewels. That's when it started in 2014, but they rebranded it last year um, to KRWND pronounced crowned. It's been worn by you know, Winnie Harlow, Aisha Curry, Saweetie. You've seen it on different celebrities. Really cool stuff. The handle is at I am crowned, K-R-W-N-E-D, and the website is IamCrowned.com. Okay, Joel, you ready? I'm very ready. Okay, we are about to start with Timothy Chalamet hosting SNL. However, Literally, as we're recording this, I just got an alert from the LA Times. Judge freezes assets of famed LA lawyer Tom Girardi, citing millions unpaid to clients. That's crazy. That is crazy. Thank God we're doing the Bravo episode on Wednesday. That is like, I'm telling you, Julie, I know you don't follow Bravo that much, but this Erica Jane, Tom Girardi thing is so wild because one, it's in direct opposition to what she portrayed on the show. And two, like it's the details that are coming out just feel so inconsistent with what I think so many people, even if you didn't like Erica, what you thought of Tom, you know? I happen to be following this somewhat closely, probably not as closely as you you and Isabel, but I think that anytime something happens with legal drama in the world of celebrity, I'm usually like right on top of it. So this one is definitely crazy. I don't know it enough for the backstory to really hit hard, but for the information that has come out since I've following, it is a insane story. It is insane. And I'm sorry, the last thing I'll say on this, I don't I feel like even if you're not a Bravo fan, you kind of care about this because it's not Bravo drama, it's like real life drama. What's so crazy, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the um, article right now. This is all because of, as we spoke about on the Bravo podcast, the misappropriated funds that were supposed to be given to the families of the victims of that plane crash. The district judge says, quote, no matter what your personal financial situation is, no matter what kind of pressures you're under, if you touch client money, you're going to be disbarred and quite possibly charged criminally. It's ethics 101. Wow. Yeah, this is wild. Wild. Okay, well, Isabel and I will get into all those details. This literally just happened as we were recording, but I could not say it. Okay. Starting off with Timothy Chalamet hosting SNL, we will get into it. But first, Julie, anybody who listens to this podcast knows this, especially with Pete there, was your Super Bowl. So give me your initial reaction. I don't know why I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this was this was something special for me. I really 
thoroughly enjoyed his SNL debut. It felt really important, especially him being a city kid. It literally felt like an inception of one of my dreams. Like I just couldn't believe it was real. And then you get to that sketch where, you know, Timothy's playing Harry and Pete is playing Machine Gun Kelly. And I literally, I was like, I feel exposed right now. I was going to say, it's as if somebody had a very clear vision into your sex dreams. Yeah, it really, it really felt that way. Yeah, no, I know. I want to read just this one um, paragraph from this article because I think it sets the scene well for a conversation that I want to have. It was in Vanity Fair by the author Karen Valby. And the title was SNL, Timothy Chalamet and Pete Davidson are a match made in heaven. I'm just going to read one paragraph. You'll understand why in a second. She says, remember this is the weekend that began a tsunami of buddy comedy pitches for Timothy Chalamet and Pete Davidson. Boy, did these boys ever meet cute on Saturday's episode. SNL did right by Chalamet in his first hosting stint, pairing him for the bulk of the show with a partner who kept him loose and ridiculous. If the kids came to worship at the porcelain altar of Chalamet's cheekbones, their moms had stayed up late to thank God for Bruce Springsteen still looking fine in full body denim. Bruce did look good. First of all, Bruce looked great. (laughs) Second of all, I do know there was definitely mixed opinions on this, and we'll talk about it in a second, but I just want to at least acknowledge the two different opinions. On one hand, there were the people like us that I think loved watching Timothy Chalamet and Pete together and felt like that dynamic was really fun. There was a whole other camp of people that felt like, why was Pete constantly inserted? This should have been more of Timothy's moment. So not that Timothy himself was complaining, but there were definitely two opposing camps. Um, Would you like to give yours? (laughs) Yeah, I think that second opinion is kind of interesting. I could see where it's coming from, but I think that Pete's involvement and their relationship together was a huge pro not only for Timothy and his, you know, comfort on the show, but also just in terms of the show itself and what SNL is. And I think that with Pete, something that we've seen in the past is the relationship that he has with John Mulaney and how John Mulaney really took Pete under his wing, especially in terms of SNL. And obviously Timothy is not, you know, going to stay on as a full-time SNL character. But what it really felt like to me was Pete kind of extending that favor and then taking Timothy under his wing. So it didn't feel at all like Timothy's shine was being dimmed. It didn't feel like, you know, the only reason they had him on was so that he could share the screen with, with Pete or anything like that. To me, it really felt like this buddy comedy between the two of them and an emerging friendship that I think a lot of people didn't know they needed, but definitely, definitely enjoyed. I I think you just said that beautifully, and I completely agreed. Like you said, I can understand the other opinion, but one, there was the element of them both being city kids, and they spoke about that. They kind of worked that into their sketch, which I thought was funny. And I know this is a little bit more niche and not something that probably your average SNL viewer is thinking of, but we personally will never forget Kid Cudi's birthday dinner at Nobu when that picture comes out of Kid Cudi, Pete Davidson, Timothy Chalamet. Who else was it? Kim and Kanye, right? Yeah, Kim Kim and Kanye. Kanye. At Kid Cudi's birthday dinner in Nobu. So since then, we've always been curious about their relationship. I know that's such a kind of like a little niche side note. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I think the way that this author wrote, it kept him loose and ridiculous. Not that he's not that way generally, but I think having Pete there contributed to that. Yeah, I, I think it made him comfortable also. I think that that looseness definitely came from the comfort that Pete brought him. I think a lot of the times we see Timmy and there's so many uh, over-exaggerated impersonations of him. Uh, Chloe Feynman did one on the show actually that she's done in the past. And I think the version of Timothy we saw at SNL was both loose and fun, but also really calm and cool. Like he really belonged up there. And I think a lot of that had to do with 
with Pete and the friendship there. So I really enjoyed it. I totally understand people who felt differently or felt like it was taking up Timothy's time, but I, I really didn't feel that way at all. Maybe that's a personal, uh, nuanced, uh, <laughs> really into the two of them thing, but I, I think it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The other thing I wanted to mention, just because I think it's an interesting point, I don't know how it, much it was discussed, but if you saw at the end, Timothy in his, you know, in the closing was wearing this legendary hoodie. And Evan Ross Katz was the person who honestly, I think, alerted our attention to it. He tweeted and said, Timothy subtweeted Warner Brothers in a big way by wearing a legendary hoodie to close out last night's very mediocre SNL. Legendary is currently taking Warner Brothers to court over the decision to put Dune to HBO Max, so this gesture is that of solidarity with the studio. It's a super petty and pointed move, ergo I'm all the way here for it. Basically, as you know, Timothy has been filming Dune with Zendaya, and Warner Brothers came out earlier this month saying that most of its major 2021 movies would be released on HBO Max the same day as theaters, which a lot of people in the industry were not a fan of at all, because this pivot to streaming, I think a lot of people feel is going to further just expedite what the fa- the failure that may happen to theaters. So him wearing this was kind of showing solidarity with the production company Legendary Entertainment without without saying it uh, verbatim. And I think that, you know, I always love a little bit of subtlety, especially when it comes from a wardrobe. Yeah, me too. I really liked that. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So switching gears for a second, and I first just want to give a trigger warning for domestic violence and abuse. Also, I'm sure most of you have seen this story, but there's kind of a lot of moving parts. So I want to give a full breakdown before we get into a discussion. But basically, a lawsuit was filed by FKA Twigs, who is a singer, songwriter, actress, also the ex-girlfriend of Shia LaBeouf, accusing him of sexual battery and relentless abuse. Keep in mind, they were together from 2018 to 2019, and they met after she was cast in his film, Honey Boy. So they dated for about a year. And what she had said was that after the initial honeymoon phase kind of wore off, she was subjected to physical, emotional, and mental abuse on multiple occasions. And she did this interview with the New York Times. But there's this one incident from February 29th that is detailed in the lawsuit 
where basically the two of them were in the desert and he, quote, raged at her throughout the trip, waking her up once, quote, in the middle of the night, choking her. Apparently, on the way back to LA, he began driving kind of recklessly, quote, removing his seatbelt and threatening to crash unless she professed her love for him. After she begged to be let out of the car, she said he pulled over to a gas station and she took her bags from the trunk. But he followed and assaulted her, throwing her against the car while screaming in her face, according to the suit. He then forced her back in the car. And kind of what she was saying was that after the incident, she was discouraged to leave as one, it had happened in public and nobody kind of stepped in to help her. She also attempted to tell a colleague that was kind of dismissed. And she said, quote, I just thought to myself, no one is ever going to believe me. I'm unconventional and I'm a person of color who is a female, which of course is a just larger conversation just about how the experiences of women of color oftentimes are so invalidated. Then a second former girlfriend of him of his came out, accused him of abusive behavior in the same lawsuit. Carolyn Foe, who dated him for two years, claimed he once drunkenly pinned her to a bed and headbutted her, causing her to bleed. Quote, so much goes into breaking down a man or woman to make them okay with a certain kind of treatment. So he then issued a statement via email to the Times, and he said, quote, I'm not in any position to tell anyone how my behavior made them feel. I have no excuse for my alcoholism or aggression, only rationalizations. I've been abusive to myself and everyone around me for years. I have a history of hurting the people closest to me. I'm ashamed of that history, and I'm sorry to those I hurt. There's nothing else I can really say. In terms of the actual allegations, when he was asked to comment, he said that many, quote, are not true, and that he owes them, quote, the opportunity to air their statements publicly and accept accountability for those things I have done. He also you know, noted in this that he was a sober member of a 12-step program and in therapy. He said, quote, I'm not cured of my PTSD and alcoholism, but I'm committed to doing what I need to do to recover, and I will be forever sorry to the people that I may have harmed along the way. Also, after this came out, Sia tweeted and said, I too have been hurt emotionally by Shia, a pathological liar who conned me into an adulterous relationship claiming to be single. I believe he's very sick and have compassion for him and his victims. Just know if you love yourself, stay safe, stay away. She then said, also, I love you at FKA Twigs. This is very courageous and I'm very proud of you. I'm going to get into some of his past controversies in a second, but I first just wanted to acknowledge a little bit of like the public opinion on Sia's tweets because there seemed to be two separate camps. And the first one was, that's great for her to come out, even though her experience was different. You know, it's still by showing that he's abusive in, in some way is showing solidarity with FKA Twigs. The other camp was saying, you know, this is really kind of stealing the shine. We're talking about two different experiences. And um, why are you coming out at this time? I want to mention that FKA Twigs retweeted Sia and said, I'm sorry, Sia, this reinforces why I had to publicly share my experience. We need to support each other. And a second time saying, I love you back, Sia. You're an inspiration. and Thank you for your love and solidarity. Which I guess then the opinion kind of changed to, okay, well, if FKA Twigs is appreciative of this, you know, other people shouldn't be upset. But I just wanted to at least acknowledge that because there were definitely two different sides of public opinion when those tweets came out. Yeah, of course. I just want to take one second to touch on some of his past controversies, which I know some of you may know, but timeline-wise, it may be a little bit fuzzy. So, in June 2014, he was arrested in New York City. He was then charged with disorderly conduct, harassment, and criminal trespass. According to the report, he was, quote, acting disorderly, yelling, and being loud. So after this incident, he voluntarily sought outpatient treatment for alcoholism. Three years later in 2017, and I think this was probably the most well-known of his arrests, he was arrested in Savannah, Georgia at around 4 a.m. for public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and obstruction. 
And in this body cam video from the police, he was making like racial slurs, cursing a lot towards police. Again, he attributed this to his alcohol addiction. In September 2020, so this year, only two months ago, he was charged with misdemeanor battery and petty theft for his involvement in an altercation with a man in June of this year. So there have definitely been things we've heard in the past kind of just about his behavior, but FKA Twigs coming out with this statement, uh, I think, was just so brave of her. Yeah, of course, definitely. It's such a larger conversation in terms of when accusations and when stories in Hollywood come out about abuse and domestic violence and sexual assault, any number of things. And I think something that happens is you kind of have one of two reactions, where with some people, it's absolute shock. They never saw it coming. Uh, They can't believe it. And it's kind of like what they say about like when your neighbor does something, it's like you're either an absolute shock, last person you'd expect, or on the other hand, which is what we're seeing here, where there are so many people that are saying like, could have seen this from a mile away. Of course, not surprised at all. Knew this about him all along. And to be really clear, I don't mean this in terms of victims at all. Whenever victims come forward, however long it takes for them to do so, it's an incredibly, incredibly brave thing for them to do. And it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And you obviously do not know how much strength it takes until you're in that position. But I think that in Hollywood, we have a real issue with people who are not the victims, but people who are bystanders and who have heard whisperings and who know things in Hollywood not coming forward because they feel it's not their story to tell. And again, that is not about FKA Twigs. Her coming out is incredibly brave and I'm sure took so much. And I am so proud of her for being able to do that. But when every single other person is making the point of like, oh, not surprised at all. It's like, well, where was that information for the public? Yes, completely. And I think also, you know, because we see this all the time in Hollywood. And to be clear, this happens, of course, in regular life in terms of people maybe hearing something, potentially a bystander, and they don't really say anything. But the views of so many people in Hollywood is like, oh, well, if I say something, then, you know, I won't get that next job or I won't work with this powerful actor, which clearly should never come priority from like a moral compass and other people's safety, but it does. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Harvey Weinstein, the list is endless. Bill Cosby, you know? So um, I think that point is really true. And again, like just so much strength and bravery for FKA Twigs for coming forward for saying this. I'm sure we've already seen other women come forward and I'm sure there will be more. And, you know, all we can do is kind of just stand by her, obviously believe her, support her and want to amplify her story because it needs to be heard. And like she said in her initial point, you know, being a woman of color, the media and the public in general is is so much uh, slower to take defense and is so much more willing to like invalidate a struggle or an experience. And that's not okay, especially at the hands of a white man, by the way. So yeah. that's not okay. That has to stop. And the way that we start to stop it is by talking about it, by saying, this is not okay. Here's this woman's story and hear it. You need to listen to it. You need to hear it. And you need to understand how this behavior is so not okay. Yeah. Especially in terms of Hollywood, something we've seen is that it really is such a boys club. And in terms of power dynamics and in terms of protection of people that don't deserve protection, that is also a huge, huge problem. And that is probably one of the largest components of why stories are kept 
and swept so under the rug and kept out of public eye because, you know, you take someone like Ellen DeGeneres, for example, and I know that's not a fair comparison, but you take somewhere, Ellen, where there have been whispers for years and years until it eventually just reached a head where everyone was talking about it, right? And the things that Ellen had done and the things that Ellen were accused of were definitely wrong and not right, but you compare it then to so many men in Hollywood that have gotten away with so many things for years and years without it reaching ahead or without public opinion being brought into the conversation or without anybody tweeting a thing and just keeping it quiet. So I think the Boys Club of Hollywood is something that really, really goes to the protection of individuals that don't deserve protection. It's constant. It is constant. It's so true. And it's, and it's of course, there's the the boys club element of it, of course, but the financial element can't be ignored, you know, because it's like men in general get that protection, specifically white men, regardless of Hollywood or not. But when you add in the additional financial incentive that people have to not say anything, it only strengthens that. Of course. So it's just like a really kind of toxic culmination of things, which again is why it's even so much more ad- admirable that she that she said something. When she's recounting, I mean, we didn't read all of clearly of what she said, but when she recounts some of the experiences, they I just can't imagine what that must have been like. Um, and and she even said in one of her tweets, like, you know, for somebody who's not ever a victim, they think that the idea of just leaving just sounds so easy. She's like, but that does not feel safe when you are a victim of domestic abuse. The idea of leaving, there's so much fear around it. So it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen and I'm glad that it is, even though, of course, I wish this never, ever happened to her or any other, any other woman. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take a little break and then we will come back. Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because... You just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. So as all of you know, Taylor Swift dropped a surprise album on Friday, Evermore. This is her ninth studio album. And keep in mind, this is only five months after she dropped Folklore, which was released July 24th. It's already nominated for Album of the Year and Pop Vocal Album. But this was a total surprise. She released a long statement. And then these two tweets that said, Ever since I was 13, I've been excited about turning 31 because it's my lucky number backwards, which is why I wanted to surprise you with this now. You've all been so caring, supportive, and thoughtful on my birthdays, and so this time I thought I would give you something. I also know this holiday season will be a lonely one for most of us, and if there's any of you out there who turn to music to cope with missing loved ones the way I do, this is for you. So we'll talk about some of the theories, but there were two excerpts from two different articles that I wanted to read, just a paragraph from each. 
The first was by Chris Wilman. It's called Taylor Swift has her second grade album of 2020 with Evermore. So he writes, Flooding the zone to further crowd out the oldies is unlikely to be Swift's real motivation for giving the world a full-blown folklore sequel, this instantaneously. As motivations for prolific activity go, relieving and sublimating quarantine pressure is probably even better than revenge. Anyway, this is not a gift horse to be looked in the mouth. Evermore, like its mid-pandemic predecessor, feels like something that's been labored over, in the best possible way, for years, not something that was written and recorded beginning in August, with the bow set to be put in only about a week ago. Albums don't get graded on a curve for how hastily they came together, or shouldn't be, but this one doesn't need the handicapped. It'd be a jewel even if it'd been in progress for forevermore and a day. Which I think is, you know, like such a magnificent compliment to give. You know what I mean? Like knowing how quickly this album was written and came together, but saying in his exact words, it'd be a jewel even if it'd been in progress forevermore and a day. Which I think is a very kind of profound statement. Yeah, definitely. And I think most importantly, you really have to have a very strong fan base to be able to drop a surprise album and have it be so well received and be so well marketed. Yes, completely. Because there isn't that, you know, marketing powerhouse that goes into it, which obviously no shade to other artists. That's like, quote, the norm. That's a lot of times what's needed. But to be able to really have kind of no marketing and to have this type of reception and excitement is, I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah, especially for the second one. Yeah. So I wanted to read an excerpt from this article in Rolling Stone by Rob Sheffield. It's called Taylor Swift's Cruel Winter, Why Marjorie is Her Heart-Treading Masterpiece. The singer-songwriter goes deeper than ever in this tribute to her grandmother. He writes, Nobody, absolutely nobody, was complaining Taylor Swift didn't inflict enough emotional brutality on us this year. But here she is and here we are. Taylor is celebrating her birthday this weekend, and she decided to turn 31 in typical Swift style, dropping her second surprise masterpiece of the year evermore. It's just five months after Folklore and just a few weeks after redefining those songs in her Long Pond Studio sessions with collaborators Jack Antonoff and the Nationals' Aaron Dessner. But she's on the hot streak of her never-exactly-chill life. She just wrote Happiness last week. At this rate, she'll have another album by New Year's Day. Who else spends the first year of their 30s cranking out over 30 new songs? Considering how the world is still reeling from folklore, topping it with this album is cruel and unusual. The ultimate, you know you won, so what's the point of keeps keeping score move? Like its sister album, Evermore is all cathartic beauty, an album full of ghost stories and haunted houses. But the most heartbreaking moment is Marjorie, her tribute to her late grandmother. It's not just the centerpiece of a stunning album. It's a song that ties up all of her favorite obsessions into a story of love, death, and grief. It's one of the best things she's ever done. It's a new peak for her as a storyteller with the key line, what died didn't stay dead. What a way for Taylor Swift to cap off her amazing year, and what a way to begin her new one. She wrote Marjorie with Desner as a tribute to her real-life grandmother, Marjorie Finlay, an opera singer who passed away in 2003. When she announced the album this week, Swift called it, quote, one starring my grandmother, Marjorie, who still visits me sometimes, if only in my dreams. She brings in Finlay's voice at the end when she confesses, quote, if I didn't know better, I think you were singing to me now. We hear Marjorie's soprano voice singing along with her. Oh my God, I just got the chills. Um, one, I just love the way that this guy writes. But second of all, I, when I listened to me, that I guess was the most, the, the thing that resonated with me the most. I, you know, when you listen to music, of course, it's hard to not view it through your own experiences. So somebody that may be going through a breakup may feel one way about a certain song. For me, I'm just constantly longing for both of my grandmothers. So I felt that this was like, I don't even know what a, what a more, beautiful way to tribute a woman that you loved and lost than this, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so in terms of theories, a lot of people are speculating her song Dorothea is actually revealing the name of Gigi and Zane's baby. There's an entire theory based on the way that Gigi posted by saying, you know, August waiting for our girl, track eight of Evermore is Dorothea. So people are saying that Gigi's baby's name is Dorothea. Obviously, Gigi and Taylor are very close and it's kind of like a very Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds way to announce your child's name. Like, I quite literally cannot think of a more iconic way to or a more iconic fun fact for that future child to have, you know, if that's the case, who knows? <laughs> it's not just like a Blake, <laughs> Blake and Ryan. It is exactly like a Blake and Ryan. Um, I think there are, the other reason that people think it is that she made a comment about the names existing in the same universe or something, which would lead people to like kind of pile onto that theory. I would be surprised if that was the case only because I know that there was another name that was going out in circulation that I thought people had confirmed. That was definitely not this, but um, they haven't confirmed anything yet. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was true. Yeah. I thought, I saw that there was also a theory that it's Ivy. I don't really know. I obviously just like the speculation. So there's also the theory that this is part of a trilogy and one of the album covers for Folklore has the words of Woodvale hidden in white text. And I was talking to Leah, who, as you guys know, it's like diehard, diehard Taylor Swift fan. She's been on the podcast before. We've we've played things from her, but I've never met anybody as dedicated to an artist as she is to Taylor Swift. So she was explaining to me just some of like the very deep theories. And she was saying that there was this exclusive merch drop for, I guess, verified Ticketmaster holders. And the code for it was Wreck My Plans, which at the time, nobody even batted an eye, but that was the code. And those are actually lyrics from Willow, which clearly we now know is a song on Evermore. So she was just saying like there were so many little things that would make sense for it to be a trilogy. For example, that she was selling this candle on her merch store and the first two candles matched like the first two albums. Then she was selling this pack of scrunchies and the third scrunchie you know, doesn't have any correlation with any of the existing albums, but it's this other color that would make sense as it's for a third album. And so I think with some artists, things can just be chalked up to being coincidental. But when you have a Taylor Swift, everything is so intentional that there's no way it just is. Um, so that was you know, something that she said. And also, a lot of people are talking about how her song Coney Island, a lot of kind of the verses are pretty clearly referencing some lyrics she's written about previous relationships. And this song was one of the songs that was co-written with her boyfriend. A lot of people are speculating her fiance or husband, Joe Allen. And I mean, I just think when I clearly, I really don't know much about their relationship. I think it's pretty private, but I do have to say there has to be a certain level of comfort you have to have with a significant other to be able to co-write a song with them that is pretty clearly referencing previous relationships and have there be no jealousy, no pride, no ego, just like recognize that this is art and this is a cathartic experience. And so I don't know what those studio sessions were like, but I could imagine that's like a very kind of bonding experience, you know? Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I didn't really think about that, but yeah, you're definitely right. I didn't either. And then I was, you know, Leah's just so like intertwined in all of these things. And I just, when she was explaining some of the things to me, I thought they were very interesting. So just wanted to touch on that. Obviously crazy. And I, I don't know I, what the fuck do I know, but I feel like there has to be a third album. I just, I don't know. That's what my gut is telling me. Not that my gut is so great on these things, but I just think there must be. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is. 
Okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with Miley, Kelly Clarkson, and a couple of other things. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. We'll get into Kelly Clarkson in a second, and I know this isn't really necessarily news, but we just had to talk about it. Miley Cyrus posted yesterday that infamous video of her smoking that bong, and she wrote, Happy 10-year anniversary to the groundbreaking video of a teenager smoking a bond and saying dumb shit to their friends. Parentheses, not sure the director of this fine film should be considered a friend, but time really flew by. I remember this like it was yesterday. Just kidding. I don't remember the shicks. I was fucked the hell up. Hashtag, yes, it really was Salvia. Hashtag, if you find me that does this, do you share? Julie. I have to just say, when this video came out, it was 2010. I was 16 years old. I remember it so vividly, and I remember when she posted this exact GMZ, I remember this being on the news. I mean, this was everywhere. Oh, I remember this as like one of the clearer pop culture events that happened in my life or like the more defining pop culture events. I so vividly remember explaining to my parents and being like, no, it wasn't weed. It was like something else, and it's legal in the state of California, and like, I don't like think that we should be like, I just remember the explanation to my parents so clearly. I remember like Michael Phelps having a bong being at like a very similar time. Like those were such defining experiences. It's almost weird to think back to how like somebody who was a teenager at the time smoking a bong could have been such a giant news story. But this was, it felt earth shattering at the time. It really did feel earth shattering. And that's like not at all a dramatization in my opinion. Also, I have to say her posting this video now 10 years later, what a way to not only like reclaim the narrative, but also just kind of a fuck you. Yeah, she's so good at that. It's it's really one of my favorite things about her is, you know, we speak about this a lot where a lot of celebrities will like ignore their past or try to pretend it different ha- didn't happen or focus so much on like who they are now and they don't want anything to do with the past narrative. And I think Miley does such an incredible job of capitalizing on nostalgia, reminding us that like how long we've been on this ride with her, but also making sure we know who she is now and the artist she is now and the person she is now. 
and to never get those two things confused. And I really can't think of anybody who does that better than her or he even comes close to doing it the way she does. And actually, I would argue, I don't even think a lot of people attempt to because it's a very, very fine line. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't do it right, you're actually only screwing yourself because why do you want to bring up things that have caused controversy in the past if you're not going to have like a pretty epic response to it. So I think a lot of people don't even attempt to, but I, you're, you're no, I completely agree with you. That's why we posted yesterday. There's only like Bella Hadid comments that I love you, but we just wanted to get it on our grid because it was such like kind of a, a, a really a groundbreaking moment in pop culture. I just, I, I don't know, seeing her post that yesterday really made me feel old, but also made me feel happy for her. This nostalgia of it really was overwhelming. It's so weird. It's such a weird experience. And also there's a lot of people who do it. And to be honest, the things that they reference aren't really iconic enough to be referenced. They were only iconic in their mind. And they kind of exploit that for the few people who either agree with that statement or remember that or haven't moved on from that. But with Miley, these events in her lives that she touches back on and that she reminds us of we're so iconic, not only just because of who she is, just in the realm of pop culture and the way we grew up and the pop culture we grew up at, that she really gets the opportunity to do it because of the memories and the nostalgia that we have as individuals surrounding those events. Yes, 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 yes. Also, like, let's say it was weed, right? <laughs> I cannot believe there was ever a time where we were that kind of absolutely devastated or shocked at the thought of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was it's actually funny. I was just trying to think back cuz I was right on that cusp of like starting to smoke. I don't think I had yet, but I was definitely a little too young, but definitely on that cusp of it becoming normalized. And I remember my sister who's 3 years younger than me, so at the time she would have been what 11. And that was a really scary experience. Like I remember thinking that it was really funny and really cool of her to be older and like justifying it. But I remember my younger sister being like devastated that like the star that she grew up with would like engage in such crazy and illegal activities. Like it really like your age when that happened is so defining, I think, and so telling. Oh, it's so telling. It's so telling because I do remember people that were older kind of not understanding the big deal around it. Whereas, but for us, we were the prime age for that. Yeah, you were 16. You were even like a little bit older to the point where it's probably definitely less um, scandalous for you, I think, right? I had just started smoking weed and I almost felt like Miley and I were on this this path together. You know, like I had, it was really kind of around my initial introduction. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I just love that she posted it. I love that it happened. I do wonder who she's talking about in her caption. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know if we ever got the name of the friend that released it. I know there was somebody there that there was another guy that was sitting next to her that they had originally thought was Liam, but then they deduced that it was somebody else that she knew. I don't know if it's him that released the video, but I think he was the only other like quote, like somewhat famous person that was with them. Um, but yeah, that video being leaked was... It was really crazy. It was. it was crazy for her too. That was probably her first or one of her first real invasions of privacy. Yeah. It's also, you know, we what we know about Miley's family now, we didn't know then. But knowing now, like, I don't think it was her parents that were the ones upset. They've been pretty 
chill about this stuff forever. I think it was way more the media. You know what I mean? Like, I bet she was having an experience of like, why are people making this such a big deal when in my own home, it's not even a big deal? Right. You know? Oh, the media had a fucking field day with this. Yeah. I mean, they always tried to put Miley in that narrative of like, Disney star goes down bad path. Like, you know what I mean? They, they wanted that for her and it never really fully happened. So they were trying so hard. This was like, you know, oh yes, we can get her with this kind of thing. She was always right on the cusp of, of people being like, oh, she's bad, but she never really crossed that line. Like, even with this, it was like, oh, we got her, but this substance is actually legal in California, so we technically can't do anything about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know. I just We just wanted to touch on that because pretty legendary moment in all of our Yeah. Okay, moving on to this Kelly Clarkson thing. This is kind of wild, No. Very crazy, but very clarifying. Yeah, because we did have a lot of questions, I remember, at the time of divorce. So this is making things make more sense. Yeah. So keep in mind, Kelly Clarkson filed for divorce from her husband, Brandon Blackstock, in June of this year. And now she has filed a suit claiming that him and his father's management company defrauded her out of millions of dollars. So keep in mind, for 13 years, she was under their management company, him and his father's. And she basically filed legal documents with the California Labor Commission in October saying that the company defrauded her by charging her outlandish fees during her time with them, saying that the agreement with the company was, quote, fraudulent and a device that allowed her managers to perform, quote, illegal services as agents, saying also that neither Branson or his father were licensed in the state of California to be agents, and therefore she wants to recoup all the money she paid to them during the 13 years that he acted as her agent. Keep in mind, I mean, this is just a, there's a difference in Hollywood between like managers and agents in terms of who can actually um, go out and get the business. There's a lot of fine lines, which oftentimes it's a little bit of like a, a blurry line, but this is a circumstance from what she's alleging where clearly it was being, it was just being used very incorrectly. And I mean, this is a whole bunch of legal drama. There's suits, there's countersuits, there's you know, them claim, claiming for money. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's crazy. And I don't know if this is a stupid question, but there's a part of me that wonders whether this was the catalyst for the divorce and somebody had brought this to her attention that she was being defrauded out of money and she was paying them way too much, et cetera, et cetera. And that the culmination of those facts then led to the divorce. Or if this was possibly knowledge that she maybe had all along. And then once the divorce finalized or once she decided to file for divorce for other reasons, she then decided she was going to move forward with the suit because it no longer was going to be something that, you know, disrupted her family life or caused issues in her marriage. I I don't know because to me, it's like, how could you know this was happening while being married to someone and that not be reason enough to divorce them, right? Like how could you, you – you can't be comfortably married to someone who you know is doing all of this behind-the-scenes work to basically screw you. So you have to wonder, did she not know about this? Was she working behind the scenes to make it as if she didn't know? Were there other issues and she happened to also find out about this? Like who knows? I guess it's also you know, just the third possibility – that they had gotten divorced or they'd split for other reasons. And then because of the split, she decided to move to a different manager managing company where they then brought it to the, her attention. Right. I, I don't, I really don't know. And the thing that 
like I just said earlier, what I can't wrap my head around is there's no way that you know that this illegal action is going on and you're staying married, like voluntarily, I'm saying. No, that's I, I have to assume that that also. It really, really sucks when there's kids involved, especially because I know she had such an incredibly close relationship with her stepkids. So, you know, for their father to really be screwing her over monetarily and then affecting her relationship with her stepkids is a really, really difficult thing. And I'm sure she is heartbroken about that. Yeah, I'm sure she is too. I don't know. There's going to be more that comes out with this, but there's some shady shit that was happening. Yeah. It's definitely a little bit more clarifying. Obviously, it's a very strange situation and obviously this is not the norm, but in terms of the confusion about the divorce and everything we had heard about their marriage and their relationship prior to this, it makes sense that there was like something glaring wrong rather than just like an irreconcilable differences situation. Completely, completely. So we'll move into the Kardashian recap in a second, but I just want to say we posted on our story, um, Larsa's Instagram, and she captioned it, what makes you the happiest? And Malik Beasley, keep in mind the guy that's been cheating on his wife with Larsa commented, you with a heart. So we just post that on our story, like the saga continues. When I tell you, literally, we got hundreds of responses. And if you're looking at the picture, you'll know what it is. If not, just go to her Instagram and um, look at it so you guys can see which one we're talking about. Hundreds of people being like, is that Khloe Kardashian? Is that Khloe? Everybody thought it was Khloe. And the people that didn't think it was Khloe thought that it was Brielle Bierman. And then there were the people that were like, is this a love child of Khloe Kardashian and Brielle Bierman? Which a lot of times people will say like, oh, sh- this doesn't look like her. But the fact that every single person thought it was Khloe was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. The overwhelming response was that not one person thought it looked like herself. No, I. but it's, it's, <laughs> The, the crazy thing though, Julie, is that so many of these women, I don't know if it's the filter. I don't know if it's the work. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm sure it's a combination. They really do start to all look alike. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it has so much to do with the work and everybody going to you know the same couple of people and getting the same couple of procedures. But yeah, they do really, really start to look alike. A lot of people. And it's funny because it also gets separated by um, like what portion of Hollywood you're in. It's kind of like pets who look like their owners where it's like all of the like TikTok YouTube stars kind of start to look alike. all of the Kardashians and that circle starts to look like, like it's really interesting when you break it up into those couple of things, because you know, they're getting work done by the same couple of people. I mean, in terms of TikTok, just an interesting thing you bring up that happens a lot. I think with like younger creators who are just starting, they don't have the same type of financial abilities as like the Kardashian circle. So they do a lot of these plastic surgery deals, a lot of these plastic surgery things as deals, right? So like we'll promo Dr. K on our story for X amount of Botox. And when that starts to happen, it really starts to become like this one face because they are all going to the same person strictly because of the promo. Whereas in other circles, it's just because maybe that's the best doctor. But when you're on like the just cusp of starting to become famous, so much of it is done like promotional-wise for like bargaining. So I always find that interesting. Yeah, me too. But anyway, so just wanted to say that in case anybody felt that way, we literally got hundreds of messages and people weren't even being mean. It wasn't like people saying mean things. It was like, I genuinely thought this was Khloe Kardashian. Holy shit, you know? That's not, yeah, that's not a diss. That's probably the best compliment she's gotten actually. No, no, yeah, but I'm saying it was, it was just crazy. Anyway, okay. Let's talk about this Kardashian Hulu deal because 
This is something. This is the least surprising uh, plot twist of 2020. Yeah. I mean, we got so many messages. People saying, like, you guys called it. You guys called it. It's just that we knew there was no way that they were going to stay at E based on the amount of money they could get in other streaming platforms you know, compared to linear. And we really did feel like there was another reality TV play in the works. So on Thursday, it was Disney's Investor Day in Santa Monica. And that's when we found out that they will all join Hulu in late 2021. The thing that's a little bit unclear is, one, of course, what would this show be? So like, I'm sure there's some sort of legality with E in terms of keeping keeping up with the Kardashians. But also, what does this mean in terms of them taking on a producer role for other shows? Like, is this where Addison comes in? Is this where a reality show with other emerging talent that they've had under their wings come in and they're building this entire empire that's on a Hulu, it's not on a Kardashian network, but like all kind of comes into play. Those are all of the questions. All I want to know is how much this is for this is worth, how much this deal is for. So much money. It's all I want to know. I I because let's be let's be real for a second. That e-deal, while it was definitely not what they were looking for, and they definitely could get more from streaming services, was a big chunk of money. Maybe not for them, but in terms of other deals that people get, in terms of money being spent in TV, it's a lot of money. So I can only imagine what they're getting from streaming services and from Hulu. Oh my God. I mean, they all posted at the same time, like Hulu 2021, and and Chris posted that, that tweet. And I think all of our minds just had so many different questions because yeah, on one hand, you want to know the monetary value of it all, but also like, what does this look like? You know what I mean? Like, what does this look like in terms of what it's actually going to be? Is it just a continuation of the show? Is this an opportunity to start fresh? Are there going to have individual spinoffs? Like, that's what I'm so curious about. Yeah. And I'm also... I'm, I'm by no means surprised that this announcement came out. I'm by no means surprised that they moved to a streaming service. I am a little shocked as to how quickly after announcing the end of it happened. It really, we like, we had no time to even sit with it. It wasn't like they even created a scarcity where you were like, oh, I really miss the Kardashians. I want them to come back. Like they have a deal in place before the last season even airs. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Ah. Uh. I just, I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Me too. I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm just thrilled. I am. Do you want to know what I'm most happy about? What? The lack of scrambling to figure out what we're going to do for a Kardashian bonus show. You know, it's very thrilling, I have to say. It is the best feeling I've ever experienced. It is. It is. Also, you know, this is a huge for Hulu. I think a lot of people thought that it would have gone maybe to Netflix. I think people didn't know. I really... Um, I really like it living on Hulu. And I think that Hulu is a platform that is definitely growing and definitely has a lot of original programming that people are really getting into. So I think this is such a great and fitting decision, especially because I feel like one of the things with Hulu is that it's more closely connected to TV shows that are currently on, whereas Netflix seems like it's either a Netflix program or you have to wait. And I think that transitional period from watching it on TV to watching it on Hulu will be like an easier ease in, if that makes sense. It does. Also, not that this really makes any sort of a difference or is at all telling, but I was kind of like waiting, is Kylie going to post? Is Kylie going to post? And she did, which not that it means anything, but of course, in my mind, I'm like, does that mean she's going to be more involved? You know what I mean? Like maybe if it doesn't have to be as 
similar to keeping up and there's another way for her to be involved that she'd be more willing to, I wonder if she'll be there or if she's just posting because that's what the entire family was doing. I was really curious about that too. And I could see her being more involved if it's a project that she deems, uh, I know this is going to sound so obnoxious, but if she, if she deems it to be worthy of her time. It doesn't sound obnoxious. It's exactly true. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. And as I'm sure, you know, most of you saw while they were all posting about this, Kim wasn't, and she was posting about Brandon Bernard, who she had been advocating for, um, to try to get him granted a stay of execution. So basically, for anybody who was unfamiliar with the case, in 1999, he was 18 years old, and he was one of five gang members that were convicted in Texas for the killing of this couple, Stacy and Todd Bagley. So the gunman was executed in September, and the other co-defendants were given lesser sentences. So you know, Kim had been really advocating, like I said, for him to get uh, a stay of execution. And she was posting on her story the entire day, like kind of a countdown, hoping that somebody would intervene. It was very chilling to witness. I'm sure a lot of you felt the same way that we did. It's just like a very intensified feeling of powerlessness. Um, and it, it didn't work. He was executed. He was the youngest person in the US to receive a death sentence in nearly 70 years for a crime committed when he was an adolescent. So um, I know there's there's a lot of conversations there. I know everybody has their own opinion on the death penalty. Personally, I am not a proponent of it at all. Um, but it was just really very chilling watching her count down the hours saying that she just spoke on the phone with him saying, you know, we didn't say goodbye because we didn't want it to be goodbye. We were waiting. And they were really up until the last hour or so hoping that somebody would intervene and some change would be made and it wasn't. So, you know, to be honest with you, it was very kind of bizarre when you're flipping through your stories. And on one hand, Kim is trying to make sure this man does not get executed. And the next one is Chloe and Courtney posting about Hulu. It felt so insensitive to me. To me and then I, I realized after, to be honest, I did not realize this in the moment that that was the same day as Disney's Investor Day. So the announcement was being made regardless. They had no control over when it was coming out. It wasn't like they just chose to do it. So that maybe provides a little bit more clarity in case anybody was wondering about that as well. But it was just very chilling. And I know I can imagine, you know, of course, for his family, it's, it's a complicated issue. Um, but it was it was hard to, to watch that. And I also just want to say that finding yourself the way that Kim did and the way that she explained like upset or emotional about this situation and this man being executed does not for a second take away any empathy or compassion or sadness you have for the victims and the families of the victims. Like the two can can coexist just because you're not wishing death upon another person does not mean that you don't feel so deeply for the families of, of the victims that um, he was involved in, in killing. So I just want to make that really clear because I, I often find there's this like unfortunate and unfair narrative that the two can't coexist. And I, I personally believe they can. I don't think that you have to show your solidarity by wishing death on another person. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you, of course. Courtney, I guess, is starring in She's All That next to Addison, which she's playing Jessica Miles Torres. I, when she first posted about that, she was reading her script. I think we all thought it was a joke. And then we see her on set and she's really doing this. So, so weird. So crazy. I have not developed uh, any opinions on this. I just think that out of left field. Uh, 
I wonder how this happened. Like, was it the type of thing where Addison started doing the movie and then they were like, you know, this could be fun. Like, let's capitalize on this friendship. I, it's so crazy to me. It is so crazy. I mean, we'll see. I am <laughs> so weirdly excited for this movie to come out just to, just to see it in full, uh, whatever it's going to be. I don't even know. I'm, I am excited though to watch it. Me too. Also, I just wanted to mention that Scott had shared a video, I guess it was from Rain's birthday of, you know, North and Saint and a couple of other kids on the steps. And we didn't realize at first, but Selena Gomez's half-sister, Gracie, they have the same mom, was in this video dancing. And I totally didn't realize that a couple of people pointed out to us. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize that she was around the same age as as North and them and that she's in this like crew. (laughs) It's really funny. I didn't realize it either. And also it was funny. The other people that were at the party, like Selena Gomez's sister is definitely a random pick, but for Mason and Rain's joint birthday for Rosalia and also Addison to be there, I was like, what is this like mishmash of people? That's kind of how it always is with them though, you know? Yeah, it really is. There is, I am sure for Mason having, even now having Addison there is still the best birthday present. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, who knows if there's any legitimacy to this, but there was this report that came out saying that, you know, Kim and Kanye are reportedly living separate lives and a source told people that they're still together, but they're concentrating on their own projects and passions. And a source told people, quote, Kim has work and projects that are important to her and Kanye has his. Their lives don't overlap much. Kim seems happy, very focused on work and causes. She strongly believes she can make a change when it comes to prison reform. This is her passion. Her family is very proud of her. Which to be honest with you, to be honest with you, like that sounds about right to me. Yeah, I'm not uh, surprised or disputing that report in any way. I think that the dynamics of their relationship and the inner workings of that fam- family dynamic is so intriguing to me. And I would love a closer look just for clarity, like literally just for clarity alone. But if they are living separate lives, if he really is spending most of his time in Wyoming and she's, you know, in LA, uh, nothing about that is surprising to me. Right? Like at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think neither of them want to get divorced. I think neither of them uh want to put their kids through it, but I think it's best for them and probably for their marriage and for their family if they are are currently living separate lives. And maybe that will change. Maybe things with both of them will change. Maybe things with Kanye, you know, will get better, but I don't think there's any way of really knowing that. Yeah. No, I, I I don't know either. I mean, also, who knows if this is even true? It just would make sense to me because it's not like this this thing is coming out saying, you know, they're getting a divorce, their marriage is in shambles. But it's saying like they really both have their own separate things. And I would imagine that to be married to Kanye, regardless of who you are, even if you're someone that's not as busy and powerful as Kim, like you got to have your own kind of thing going or it can really take on like this is his ride and you're just on it. So I would imagine that that's actually probably one of the things that keeps them going. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about anything? No, I think that's it. I think so too. Well, I love you and we love you guys. And we are now going to cut to our conversation with Jen Atkin. We love you guys. You guys, we are so excited. We are here with world-renowned hairstylist, founder of The Way and Main Addicts, and most recently author of her new book, Blowing My Way to the Top, Jen Atkin. Should I clap for myself? 
<laughs> you guys, I can't believe this is happening. I'm such a huge, huge fan. Comments by celebs is like, I remember getting merch and I was like, how did they find my address? This is so exciting. Like the merch was so good. And this is just, I can't even believe this is happening. I'm so excited. It's, I can't even, I, I, I'm so appreciative, but I can't even take that comment seriously because I wish you knew the way we felt right now, like for so many years. And we'll get into this, but we have just watched you and watched what you've created and we are in such awe. So this is a really cool and full circle experience for us. And just thank you for taking the time to be here. Of course. Like I asked my followers what podcast I should do during book launch. And like everybody said, you guys, like you're just oh. a phenomenon, a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. And thank you to you guys listening who wrote that. That's so appreciated. So so many things that I want to talk to you about. But first, this book, which, by the way, such a genius title. I just needed to have a conversation piece. And when we were working on titles, it was like making waves or cutting the line. And I was like, no, no, no. It needs to be blowing my way to the top. And so I, got, yeah, I got approval from my parents. They were like, oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thrilled. I'm so happy. I love it. It was, it's genius and, you know, it's very captivating. And I guess first, just could you describe in your own words kind of like what your goal with this book is? If you're somebody who's reading this, what would you want their takeaway to kind of be? Oh, guys. Well, it's interesting because like I was a little nervous about writing a book because I thought everyone was going to be like, oh, it's like, you know, just talking about celebrities. And I, I didn't want it to be just like so um, Hollywood based fluffiness. I wanted to have a little bit of depth. So there's been two rewrites. I'm so happy with where we're at. Um, it's kind of like a coming of age story. And my postcard I sent out to my friends was like, my book is basically like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir meets Britney Spears Crossroads meets Devil Wears Prada. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> a perfect description. <laughs> yeah. It's like a peek into obviously like, you know, the jet setting glamorous part of my life and my job. But also I wanted to give tips on how to like navigate through this modern digital landscape we live in. I wanted to kind of help anyone who is stuck in a rut, just get motivated and skip the line and hopefully learn from the mistakes that I've made and from the good choices that I've made. Yeah, I think it definitely it definitely does that. And, you know, you speak a lot in the book about growing up Mormon in, in Utah and you kind of coined this phrase, Little Mermaid Syndrome. And I would love for you to explain that to anybody who hasn't read the book yet, because I felt like that was such a perfect description of kind of what you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think I've always kind of had this mentality, even as a kid, that like I wanted more. You know, that's my Little Mermaid reference. Like I just, I remember just feeling kind of like fish out of water. My friends were like super into Bible study. And as we got older in high school, like I just was so obsessed with movies and fashion and beauty and pop culture. And I just never felt like I fit in, you know, and I think my best friend was the same. We were like the two odd women out in our like friend group in high school. And we didn't want to get married at 18 or 19 to our high school boyfriends, by the way, which is totally fine for people that did. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, just were really like, we wanted to see what was outside of our little town. And you'll see in the book, the full story, but it was like a chance meeting of Dave Matthews um, on a movie set. And he literally gave us this like pep talk and it sounds made up, 
But we, after that, we were just like, oh my God, he's right. Like, why don't we go to LA or New York? And like, why don't we pursue this like dream of ours and just see what happens? Yeah. When I read that line, how you kind of basically said to him that you wanted to move to LA or New York and he basically just said, well, then you should. I I couldn't help but try to imagine what it must have been like for you recounting that and writing this down now that you have achieved this career that is very, you know, intertwined with celebrity culture. And meanwhile, Dave Matthews really was the person who gave you the quote blessing. It's like, that is crazy. It's so crazy. Um, yeah. But, you know, coming from a really small Mormon town, we were just so starstruck. And I remember being just like, in the room with this person who, and it's interesting because now I look at the way like people at meet and greets or the people who stand outside of my clients' hotels, like I see the way they stare and the way that they're just infatuated. And like, that was me with Dave Matthews. I was like, this is the first person I've ever met who's a true successful celebrity, but he was like Jerry Garcia. I don't even know if anybody can understand how much we loved him. And just to have him say to us, like literally it was a millisecond of his life, but it completely changed the course of ours. And sometimes I feel like it just takes that person. And that's another reason why I wanted to write the book is because I want people to know that, you know, it's not so far-fetched to think that like you could do what you want to do and, and be the person who starts something or, you know, um, I, I just, you know, things aren't as out of reach as I think we think they are. Have you been able to tell Dave Matthews that story since? Like, have you ever reconnected with him? We did get to go backstage. Like, obviously, like, I don't have his information, but I, I don't even remember. We, we were probably out here in L.A. five years, and we went to a concert and got to, I think, just, like, say hello. But I'm sure he didn't even remember us. But <laughs> now he for, fully needs to get, like, a restraining order on me because <laughs> I'm sure he's getting all the Google alerts from me talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got to know. You know, it's when you were just saying how, um, like, it's not so far fetched, you can do it. Something that struck me in your book was you spoke a lot about the difference between confidence and cockiness, and how when you would see somebody in a position that you wanted to be in, it wasn't that you felt unworthy to be with them, it was like you felt inspired, which I feel like is such an important message to young people, specifically young women, and not even young, all women. Um, but where do you think that came from? Like that inherent feeling of like, I am deserving of this. Honestly, I think that I have to give my parents credit for that because I, I remember from a very young age, my parents always giving me so much um, confidence, you know, like really, even though I grew up in a religious household where, you know, women weren't necessarily like pushed to go to college and have a career, um, my parents always supported, you know, my craziness, like whether it was like classes I wanted to take or things that I was interested in. Like I remember for Christmas asking for like movie posters or, or, you know, band posters and them just being like, okay, you know, this is so outlandish and not like your sisters, but you know, they've always supported me. So I think that is really what has given me the, um, the confidence to be able to be in a room with, you know, big personalities and big names and famous people and, and not feel like I need to kind of like hide or I'm not worthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I think um, through the years too, I've kind of felt like my mentality in, in the business world has kind of gone from, okay, wait, 
there's these incredible brands, but who's behind them, especially in the hair care industry. And I realized it was mostly like older white men. And I luckily live in a time, and I think social media has helped us as women to really like break down a lot of walls and shatter those glass ceilings and create our own brands. And I, you know, have been able to watch like my friends do the same thing. And it's been, it's been really amazing to be a part of it because my, my switch kind of like flipped and I was like, okay, why not me? You know, like we're all doing this and, and it's been really awesome to be a part of that. Like, I guess. revolution. You know, something Julie and I talk about a lot is how obviously we are so grateful to Instagram and social media because it, I mean, it's the reason we have our careers. Um, But then in so many ways, it also is the exact thing that kind of breeds that phone addiction. I know you spoke a lot about, and I wonder if you ever kind of feel that same way of like, I'm so grateful for this thing because I do believe that it really skyrocketed my growth, but also, oh my God, I'm so dependent on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I really struggled with. And I think, you know, it's so important and I realize it now because I never used to unplug. I never used to take weekends. I was always scared to slow down because I'm like, I'm in my hustle right now. And if I slow down, I'm not going to be able to get back up. And Mm -hmm. it was just not sustainable and it was affecting my health. It was affecting my mental health. And I think that, you know, you've got to figure out a way to utilize social media to your advantage, but not let it completely take over your whole life and make you And not just social media, by the way, our phones, our computers, our iPads. Like, I think that there's this insane sense of urgency that's constantly on all of our shoulders and Mm -hmm. it's not real. You know, like most emails can wait. Most texts you don't have to respond to right away. Same with DMs. Um, And so I think it's really important to kind of like take back the control. Yeah. I mean, Julie, don't you think that's advice that we could take? Oh, we could absolutely take it. We won't. We won't, but we 100% yeah. be taking it. Yeah. At least you're listening. That's all that matters. Yeah, we are. Um, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, but just in response to something that you just said, I remember, and you wrote about this in the book, but I remember just as somebody who I feel like has watched your trajectory in 2018 when you had that you know, episode where you had the panic attack and you fainted. And I remember you came on social and you said, guys, I am severely dehydrated. I need to slow down. I do you mark that experience as maybe what changed your mind mindset at all? Because I remember something we had been speaking about way before that happened, just you know, in following your career is kind of like, how is she doing this? She's constantly on an airplane. There's so much. And do you ever view that as almost like a blessing in disguise? For sure. Yeah. It's interesting too, because at the time I was just like, go, 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 go. And I think like my stamina, I just I, I had this opportunity. And I felt like I had to say yes to everything. And I was just going to make it happen. And I had an incredible team who was like jet lagged with me going all over the place, like, you know, taking over with clients when I'd leave. So I could get four people in at the Met Ball, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were just running around like crazy, but, um, and I was reading at the time, like Sheryl Sandberg's book, lean in. I was reading Arianna Huffington's story. And I remember just being like, Oh God, you know, everybody loves to preach about like slowing down and, and manifesting things and meditation and all of it. And I'm just like, I don't have time for any of that. You know, like I'm, I'm in my grind. And I remember Ariana Huffington's story about like her hitting, she like passed out on her desk and like hit her head against her desk. And that kind of woke her up and got her into her journey of like self-care. For sure. I look at that year of like, 
honestly, it was a lot of planes where I was just putting a blanket over my head and crying when we were taking off because I was exhausted and just not happy. Um, there was the, the panic attack, me passing out in the middle of the night. Um, and also like my friends kind of calling me out and being like, you're not really present. You know, I remember my best friend who I write about in the book saying to me, she was like, are we just going to look back on these years? And like, are we going to ever laugh about you just being completely like absent and missing, you know, important milestones in, in, in our friendship. And that really also was a part of, it was a huge awakening for me too. Cause I was like, God, I am killing it in other ways, but I'm not doing things that are like giving me um, the fulfillment that I need. And I'm just, you know, dropping the ball in, in my personal life. So yeah, that yeah. was really what like woke me up. Oh, even just hearing you talk about it. I mean, that's, you, you wrote this line that I actually wrote down because it struck me so much in your book. You said, I know it sounds twisted, but I felt like every time I turned down a job, I was signaling to the universe that I was ungrateful for the opportunities coming my way. Yeah, that's how I felt. Oh my God, that is such a line that more people need to hear because I know, I know for a fact other people, myself included, feel that way at times. Yeah, I think, you know, it's really... It's really hard because, you know, and, and I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you've seen me talk about it because I talk about a lot of my social, but I went to the psychotherapy camp called the Hoffman Institute because I was literally in a place where I was my own worst enemy. You know, like I, my team, my agent, my assistant, like everyone would say to me, like, you know, we don't think you should do this. You don't have to say yes to this. And I was just like, no, I need to like, so many people would love to have this opportunity. I need to do it. And right. next thing you know, I'm like one of the ringleaders of this hustle porn. And while I'm trying to show other, you know, women and, and men as well, that, you know, you can have it all. You can, you know, reach your goals. You can do all these things. Look what I'm doing. I'm trying to like inspire people. It was not me bragging, but I also realize now in hindsight, I'm like, that's also telling such a horrible, you know, unsustainable story of running yourself ragged. And yeah. yeah, it took me kind of going and doing a lot of, I'd go to therapy, but I was also like, you know, never in town to go into my therapist's office. It was always on the phone. And so it really took me like giving the Hoffman Institute my phone for a week and just sitting and like recalculating everything and, and just getting my priorities straight again. Yeah. It's so interesting because that's also, you know, when you talk about the other side of social media or the danger of social media, like I remember looking at that time in your life kind of prior to knowing anything was wrong and seeing you traveling and seeing you doing all these things and being like, that is the ideal life. Like that is exactly what I want to be able to go to all of these places, do all these things. And then to hear about the other side of it where it's like, it's just exhausting and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, guys, like I had that realization, I'd say about a year and a half, two years ago. And it's so crazy how we all in 2020 have been like, life's been put on hold. And, you know, I think we've all been really taking a good look in the mirror and like evaluating like our relationships and, and having stronger emotional connections, I think with our friends, because, you know, we're all talking, I mean, we're, we're living in like the craziest time. And mm -hmm. as humans, I think we're all just like really leaning into one another and taking care of one another. And 
it's been really awesome to kind of watch the good stuff that's come out of this. I agree. Do you feel like, you know, that experience bonded you and Mike even more? You mean me falling apart? Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, it was hard for him. It really was hard for him. Like he is such a champion of women and he was like my biggest cheerleader. But there were times when, you know, we would call it my Saturday night meltdowns and I would just, and I'm not like a super emotional person. I don't cry a lot. And I remember just Saturday night on the dot, like I would just start sobbing and just like, he'd ask me like, do you want to go see a movie? And I just break down. And in fact, my friend the other day said to me, she's like, I remember like Mike, we would have, we went to have sushi at this like spot we love. She's like, Mike would come in a lot and be like, Jen's just taking a second in the car. And I would just go in the back of the car and like sleep for a little bit or just like cry or be jet lagged and just need a moment. But yeah, it was definitely hard for him to watch because he knew he couldn't really do anything. I had to I had to figure it out for myself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you guys, obviously, we don't know much, but from what we see, it does seem like a very mutually supportive relationship, which is something that uh, I know we both strive for in our own relationships. And it's definitely something I think we've always admired about both of you. Oh, that's sweet. My friend of the day was like, you guys are on my vision board for relationships. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a huge responsibility. Um, what I will say for anyone who's like single and getting excited to like tinder it up once this is over. Um, I, I really am so grateful that I put myself and my career ahead of my relationships that were not the right relationships in my twenties. You know, I tried to like, you know, I had the boyfriend that was like, Oh my God, you're not going to go on Madonna's tour. Right. Like you're going to be gone six months. And I was like, no, I'm going. Um, and then I've, you know, dated guys who maybe had like substance abuse problems and I was like, Oh, I can fix him. You know, I've, I've made a lot of like, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they were like that outlandish and crazy. A lot of people deal with a lot of things in relationships, but I will say that Mike was the first person I ever dated who was really like doing the work and going to therapy on his own. And it is a world of difference. So don't settle. It's it's a world of difference, right? Men in therapy, I always say that. It's I always say it. It's not that you have to actively be in it, but I need you to be open-minded to it. That's my number one deal breaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing I really admire about Mike is that he's not so stuck on these like gender norms, you know? Like if you were to take a look at our household, like Mike cooks, I've never touched a pan in my life. You know, <laughs> he is super supportive of my success and 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 the times when I need to be selfish to kind of nurture my, my career. Um, and it's really incredible that like, he's the kind of guy who's like not afraid to be emotional and not afraid to cry. He's definitely more emotional than I am. And it's, it just works. And I, I really appreciate that we both kind of are outside of like the box that people try to put, you know, men and women in. I feel like we get to see a glimpse of that, especially when Chrissy's posting stories of Uncle Mike with Luna and Miles. I feel like that's when we get to see it the most too. Yeah, he's so, oh God, he loves kids so much. And, um, and you know, listen, it's amazing coming home and the house smells like fresh focaccia bread. Like I have no complaints. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> no. I also, I think I read somewhere that you both are Pisces. Which we are right, yeah, yeah that's very March first. I'm March 10th, and <gasps> Julie, that's you have my that's dad's birthday. birthday. <laughs> I have my 
my dad, my favorite person in the universe. Oh my God. Oh my God. So you understand Pisces men. They're the best. They're so loving and loyal. And, and I, I think I have two other friends who, in fact, my brother and uh, my brother and sister-in-law have um, birthdays within like two days of one another. My other friends have the same birthday and their relationships work. There's something about dating your same star sign. I'm telling you. I think depending on the sign, absolutely. In Pisces, I have definitely seen that. Oh my God. I, I just got the chills that you said March 10th. Yeah. I mean, in his and I think also Mike's creativity and your creativity, but also like that alone time balance. I can just see so many things. Obviously, I don't know him personally or you that well, but I can just so sense it. <laughs> I feel like you do know us. You're quite, you've got a lot of details. I feel like you've done your homework. I've been to it. <laughs> I I just, I love astrology. I'm always so interested by that. Oh my God. Me too. By the way, working as a hairstylist, like I started like really asking about star signs and like probably 12 years ago. And I'm telling you, I fully believe in like the planets and when you're born and what it means. And I, I'm all for it. Oh, me too. Me too. My mom had my chart done the second I was born and it's been so having a um an astrologer throughout my life has definitely been comforting. I know this is totally shifting gears, but while we have you here, we absolutely need to talk to you about this because something that we talk about a lot and I know you wrote in the book about how 2011 when you started working with the Kardashians that your agent wasn't necessarily a fan of it just because reality television, you know, then wasn't what it is now. Um but something we talk about a lot is how I'm going to use the term a pre-Kardashian world, and I know that that's clearly not accurate, but just for census of everybody can kind of understand what we mean. Like, it was almost as if the glam team was in the background. It's like people wanted to show up looking perfect, but they never wanted people to know how they kind of showed up. And through social media, it really started to become a, an entire package. And, you know, the the glam teams themselves started to get such a presence. And I talking to you about it, who literally experienced that shift. I just tell me your thoughts on that entire kind of um, shift. I find that so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's been incredible to watch. I started my career in like 2007 and to see, you know, I, I was hustling. I had like a great career in the salon and from 2007 to, I guess, Instagram came out, what, 2012, mm-hmm. maybe 2011. Yeah. Right above, yeah. And to see what's happened, like, it's interesting. A lot of my clients that have posted about the book, I've gone through my, I'm very organized with my iPhoto. So I've gone through to see like when I first met them or when we first worked together, or have a picture together. And it's insane to see how all of our lives have changed from the moment Instagram hit to now. It's insane. Like the world really is moving as fast as like Instagram scrolls. And it's crazy. Yeah. But going back to my agent, like I have to give her credit because, you know, we live in LA. It's like everyone gets caught up in like the, the, whatever's like, you know, interesting and cool or or deemed important. And at that time, pre reality shows, I mean, simple life had been out and I think newlyweds is out, but, um, that was pretty much it. Maybe Hill, the Hills. Yeah. The Hills must've been out. Right. But you know, everybody was still like all about like the Oscars and the Emmys and TV stars and movie stars. And so she was just kind of like, why would you, you know, like we can maybe get you booked with somebody that's like on a TV show. Like, why would you want to work with reality stars? 
And I just honestly like fell in love with Chloe on a shoot that I was booked to do Kim for, but like Chloe and I just clicked and I was like, this girl's so funny. And she wrote me the sweetest note and asked if I would help her with her looks for X factor. And it was like, you know, the rest is history. And I am so grateful that while I was still like an, I was still kind of a newcomer on the scene as far as celebrity stylists at the time. And I remember just being like, oh my God, this is insane. Just having a bird's eye view of like what is happening, you know, like Chloe and I still will send each other embarrassing photos of the early days and just like, what were we wearing? What were we thinking? Like, this is crazy. It's so awesome to look back. And, and by the way, like, even if you, this doesn't even, um, I don't even feel like it, it is just for the celebrity world. Like I'm sure you guys or anybody who like has a friend group that you've been friends for the past eight years. Like it's insane to be able to look back and just see how all of our lives, I feel like trends have moved so fast, you know, um, it's, yeah, it's just incredible to kind of be a part of it all. Oh my God. It, as you're talking about that and now, you know, you're writing your book and on the last page, there's a thank you to Chris and to Chloe and to everyone like that is, I'm sorry. I feel like everything about your story is just so full circle when you talk about it. Yeah, it is. I'm so, um, writing the book was so cathartic for me because I have not taken time to stop and like ever pat myself on the back or really like just sit with the journey, you know, and this forced me to take three hours a day and go through my old photos. Like I have a photo album from like the murmur photo booths and, you know, going through old Blackberry folders that I have on my computer and my iPhoto. And it was so amazing. And honestly, like when I wrote, I would never knew that people were going to post the handwritten, like personal heartfelt notes that I was sending them, but that seemed to be the fad during this book launch. But I really like made it a point to like point out like how incredible it's been to, to be able to grow alongside of my friends and see just what they've done in their own lives. And, you know, and I really, I hope that um, I, I wrote a ton of acknowledgements because I really truly felt like this book happening was a big win, even for like women in hair and all of the girls who have kind of come up in the past five years. And I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited to be able to have that like permanent thank you to the women who have really helped me in my career. Yeah. I, it's, it's beautiful. You also spoke about the importance of just handwritten notes in general, which I, I so agree with. I, I don't know. It's really nice when you see people who you can just tell are inherently good people succeed. And I think that's one of the reasons that people just are so excited to watch your journey because you can just tell, you know, you can just get a sense if someone's a good person and you just give off that energy. So we're just so excited for you. And, and I don't know, just so happy to know you. You Let's let's normalize (laughs) gratitude. How about that? Totally. Love it. <laughs> totally. No. Um, I also need you guys to tell me, like, how are my comments? Like, when I'm ever on comments by celebs, I get so like excited and nervous about it. Like, I need to step it up a little bit. I think my favorite one. I mean, it's a little bit self-centered of us, but my favorite one was when you commented on Chrissy's birthday post to you, and you ended it by saying something like, 
Also, I feel pressure to end this with a funny line. So comments by celebs picked it up. And I was like, <laughs> I have never felt more seen than Jen including us at our thank you to Chrissy's birthday post. I was like, we oh. have. <laughs> you guys, it's so true. I feel like uh, that's the most exciting thing when like, it's usually Steph Shop or Chrissy um, that will be like, oh my God, you're on comments by celebs or Scotty Kuna. <laughs> like so many people get so excited about it. It's yeah, oh. it's a lot of pressure though. And you guys definitely like now everyone's like, okay, is this funny enough? You know, like, <laughs> to raise the bar. Awesome. Oh my god, I don't know if I can accept that, but just thank you, thank you. And uh, this is this is really awesome and really cool. And we're so happy for you. Just thank you for everything. And I we can't wait to see what happens next. I mean, who knows? You know, it's like 2015 New York Times named you the most influential hairstylist in the world, then it's the way, then it's, I just feel like the sky's the limit and it's, it's fun to watch. Oh my God. Well, listen, I hope that I can inspire you guys. You guys are killing it, but anybody listening, I hope that I can inspire you to just find your purpose. And, you know, if you're stuck in a rut or you're feeling like, you know, you're missed out on life or, you know, even if you're like older, you don't have to be young. It's like, you can always change course and like, you know, figure things out. So I hope that I'm encouraging you to not just have, you know, financial success or success in your career, but also like to take care of yourself and have like a thriving personal life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I can definitely speak for myself and reading that. I definitely felt that way. And I'm sure that's a sentiment that's echoed by many. So yeah, definitely. And if anybody listening knows Dave Matthews, if you could just have him comment on one of my post so that I could end up on comments by celebs. That would be like really amazing. <laughs> that would be the dream. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's our next, let's manifest that. We're doing a group. I'm find Dave Matthews, social media manager. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Jenner can make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, that's going to be my one wish. Yeah, to help me find Dave Matthews. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You guys blowing my way to the top by Jen Atkin. Get it. It is so excellent. And Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for existing. Let's talk about baby making for a second, because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be. Meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.